0: Good morning, everyone. So, good morning to everyone online and in person. If you're online, you might be going, Wait a second, he's wearing a flannel. I I am. And if you're here, you understand why, because in Illinois, winter never ends. Right? Oh, oh, but I know, I know, I know what you're going to say. All the Illinois apologists. You're gonna say, oh, but we live in Chicagoland. It's so close to the city. Let's be honest. We don't get to go to the city that often, okay? Because life tends to get busy where you are. Oh, oh, but wait, there's a beach. Yeah, there is. It's a beach that's too cold to swim in ever. Oh, okay, so, so let, let's, let's just be real. Really soon, we're gonna have six days to go to the pool. All right, let's give a hand to Illinois. Um, So um, the the one thing that I'll say about Illinois, though, especially Chicagoland, I'll say that uh, what I really love is the pizza. It really is the best, the best. And I've had really good pizza in New York. It is good, but Chicago still rules. And I will fight you over this if you disagree. Anyone? I heard disagree. No? No? I, okay, I saw one disagree we 'll chat later i won 't fight you, but we we'll, might, might have a little verbal spat. Um, so we are uh, we're getting closer to the end of our series that we 've called Jesus Encounters and what I love about the series is that we get to see real people encountering the real Jesus over and over and over again <clears throat> what 's so astounding to me about the uh, the reality of Scripture is that over and over we get to see that none of the people who encounter Jesus are are these, like, superheroes of the faith. Like, there's nobody that you read about that's just, like, this unattainable, like, superstar Christian that, that is just, like, too holy for us, and that should really give us a lot of hope today because I'm guessing if you're anything like me, you sort of feel like you don't have it all together, Raise your hand if you don't have it all together. It really is okay to say that because the basis for our faith is not that we're good enough to come to God, but God is good enough and he invites us to him. Isn't that great news? Like you don't have to be good enough and he'll still use you. And that's the whole message of scripture. So today we're going to talk about doubts. Is that okay? You guys have any doubts today? Um, doubts Doubts are legitimate. We have a lot of them. And I'd say that reasonable people everywhere have doubts because life brings those situations on and it makes us wonder. Like, everyone in Illinois truly wonders and and, and they kind of doubt that the Bears will ever make it back to the Super Bowl. (laughs) I mean, like, I love Justin Fields. I do. But I'm not convinced that we're ever going to have, like, management that that puts people around him that is going to make them a Super Bowl team. I just doubt it. And I doubt that winter will ever end in Chicagoland. Years ago, there was a song by Vanessa Williams, and she said, sometimes the snow comes down in June. Now, I haven't seen it actually come down in June, but it's May 1st, and I wouldn't doubt it at all if my my car was covered in snow when I walked outside. Seriously, should anybody ever have to live in a place where seven-plus months a year you walk outside and your face hurts? (laughs) seriously, it just seems like, it just seems wrong. But honestly, that's on us because we could vote with our feet, right? But we don't. We stay. And ultimately, we love it. The reality is we all have doubts. My guess is you're sitting here today with doubts in your own life. Some of you doubt that you're ever going to find the right girlfriend or boyfriend. Some of you wonder if you're ever going to find a good wife or a good husband Maybe some of you are doubting that your health issues are ever going to improve because you've seen a track record that suggests they're not going to. Maybe you're wondering if you're ever going to have a stable job. Maybe you're wondering if your adult children will ever return to the faith that you taught them. Maybe you wonder if you did enough for your kids, if you lived your faith out enough, and you're really doubting that today. There are so many reasons that we have doubts. We are also conditioned to think of the worst case scenarios, right? We watch the news. Like, do you ever watch the news and walk away super encouraged? (laughs) Are you ever like, oh, I'm so glad that CNN, Fox, and MSNBC shared the great news about all the beautiful things that are happening in the world. Not one time has that ever happened to me. But the reality is I still end up watching it. Why? Why? Uh, like we're almost like addicted to bad news, but it happens over and over. It's, it's just not uplifting. We doubt that this war in Ukraine is ever going to end peacefully, don't we? It's like, how is it going to happen when there's this dictator that seems hell-bent on destroying an entire country? We also doubt that COVID is ever truly going to be in our collective past, don't we? It sort of feels like how many strains can there be? Will it ever, ever end? And that's just outside of us. But what about the disappointment that we feel in our own lives? How many of you had dreams when you were little? Dreams that you just thought by this age, by, I remember being in high school, you know, 17 years old as a senior. And it's like in 10 years, what do you imagine that your life's going to be like? Think about when you were 17 and that question was asked to you. 10 years later, was your life like that? How about 20 years later? Is your life like that? Or are you sitting with some deep-seated levels of disappointment because whatever age you're at, you're not quite where you thought you would be 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, right? There aren't a whole lot of people who are astronauts, but every little boy that I knew as a kid said, I'm going to be an astronaut. We tend to let go of these things and we feel disappointed and we don't always see comeback stories, do we? And we don't always live them. To make it worse, we don't always do a great job in our churches in creating places where people can bring their honest questions and doubts. We want to be a church that, that allows you to come and encourages you to come and bring bring your questions. You don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have it all figured out. If we have doubts and questions, then certainly you should feel able to have those same ones. Like we want to be a place where you can come and ask questions. I've spoken with a number of you over the last handful of years, and it's super common, a super common story that I hear, a narrative that I hear over and over is that you grew up in homes where your faith was almost unquestionable. And what I mean by that is that when you brought up questions to your pastor or to a priest, it was almost like you did something like suddenly uh, the pass on the secret handshake or suddenly the the, the locks on the doors were changed because you felt like I wasn't really supposed to ask those questions. A a well-known former pastor of mine said it like this. I love this quote. He said, The quest to feel certain becomes an idol when a person's sense of significance to God and security before God is anchored not in the simple trust of God's character as revealed on the cross, but in how certain they feel about the rightness of their beliefs. Does that resonate with you like it does to me? Like we want to be like, I, I think we're so afraid to ask questions. We're so afraid to doubt. And then we never ask anything. We never grow And we base our faith in God on on how right we think we are rather than looking at the cross and seeing that God is for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And if he is for us, who can be against us? That's the good news. It's not about how much doctrine you know. It's not about how much Bible you've read. It's about, have you received what God has for you? But we have doubts and questions. And the good news is throughout the Bible, People doubted God all of the time. And guess what? He did not strike anyone dead for doubting him. He didn't. Some of you have been taught that you can't question anything about God. You can't question anything about, you can't say, well, why is this happening to me? It's not evil to wonder why you're going through something hard. It's okay. God's not afraid of your doubt. He's not afraid of your questions. And today we're going to look at the honest experience of a doubter in the Bible. Now, this doubter had significant experience with Jesus, okay? So it wasn't like he, he doubted because he hadn't encountered Jesus. No, he had three years of experience with Jesus, but he still doubted because he was disappointed by Jesus. He walked with Jesus, and he had come to believe over time that, that Jesus was going to relieve him and his people of Roman oppression, that had dominated their lives. He saw Jesus perform miracle after miracle, and he moved from doubt to faith. But all of his hope was like dashed on the ground one time because Jesus was arrested. It's like, surely saviors don't get arrested? What's going on here? The whole narrative is disturbed. What is happening? Saviors don't get arrested, saviors don't get tried, saviors don't get sentenced to death. Wait a second. Can you imagine, just for, just for a minute, put yourself in the position of the disciples. Can you imagine that they would doubt? Can you imagine that in these moments, they thought maybe Jesus wasn't who we thought he was. And then to make it even worse, he died. He died. Saviors don't die. Let's not be ridiculous. But he died. And all hope seemed to be lost. They were sent back to their regular lives because that's what you do. I guess this fairy tale is over. It's all in the past. It wasn't true. They were full of sadness and darkness and they were let down by the one that they had come to dare to believe was God on earth. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe not exactly about this, but I'm guessing that there is someone that you have prayed for And someone told you, if you just pray hard enough, if you just believe enough, that person is going to be healed of cancer and they still died. Right? It happens. Your life hasn't turned out the way that you thought for a number of reasons. You'd hope for a thriller, but you really are are kind of living a failed rom-com. That's how you feel about your life. You wanted a thriller and it's kind of turned out kind of funny, not so romantic. Many people during Bible times would say, that's been my experience too. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, if you have your Bible with you. Um, Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, I don't know about you, but I'd stick with Thomas. Um, one of the twelve, uh, Didymus just means twin. Uh, it actually is where we get the word "ditto" from. Interestingly enough, in case you cared, uh, Thomas was one. Didymus was one of the twelve. Uh, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, "We have seen the Lord." But he said to them, "Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe." Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Powerful story. Years ago, um, there was a debate between uh, Bill Nye, the science guy. Anybody remember him? And a man named Ken Ham, he is the Answers in Genesis guy and um, also the creator of the Ark Encounter in, in Kentucky. Bill Nye, of course, argued for evolution and Ken Ham argued for the idea that God created everything and how that was incompatible with evolution. A man in the audience asked both men a question and it was this, what could change your mind? What, in other words, um, What could change your mind on these things that you hold so, so strongly to be true? And Ken Ham's answer was simply, I am a Christian. That was his answer to the question, what could change your mind? And really what he's saying is, nothing can change your mind, okay? So maybe today you're sitting here and you feel that resolute about your beliefs and you're like, listen, nothing's going to change my mind on anything that I believe in about God. Okay, that's going to be interesting for you, I predict, in the next handful of years. But maybe you're sitting there, but maybe today you're like, listen, so many things have been shaken up in the last handful of years that my beliefs almost feel like they're shipwrecked, and I'm trying to put them back together again, and I'm questioning everything. Now, here's the deal. The disciple Thomas, at one point, had, had beliefs as resolute as Ken Ham. At one point, he believed so strongly, and then he was disappointed by Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Easter was two weeks ago, so we have this perspective that's different. We have this 30,000-foot view because we see the whole of Scripture, and we're like, I can't believe Thomas would doubt. Jesus rose from the dead. But listen, as as quickly as we are to judge Thomas, anyone in 50 years or 100 years could look at our lives and say, well, why did they ever doubt? Here's what was going to happen. Because we're people, and we get disappointed. But without the perspective of Easter, how do you relate to disappointment and disillusionment? To the disciples, Jesus was supposed to kick out the Roman oppressors, but he ended up dying on a cross. And they did not have the perspective that he was going to rise from the dead because dead people don't tend to come back. Thomas is known today, and I think it's unfortunate. He's known today by the world as Doubting Thomas. I think that he should be renamed. I do. I think he should be renamed the guy who tells the truth, Thomas. (laughs) I think he should be the one that's like, yep, that's the one I relate to. I don't relate to people who act like they, everything they believe is going to hold steady the rest of their lives. I've said many times to many people in our church community that I am confident that some of the beliefs that I hold very strongly here in the church, God's going to confront me on and say, you got that one wrong. I'm really confident that I, some of my theology is a little bit off. I'm really confident of that, and I'm confident that yours is too. All of us have something that we believe strongly that God's going to be like, it wasn't quite like that. Surely you have had times that God has let you down. Unanswered prayers, job losses, unexpected divorces, getting the call from the doctor that no one wants, that you have to start chemotherapy next week. We've all had something that has entered our our, um, experience and made us say, I don't know what to do with this doubt and with this question. So today, we're going to briefly talk in the rest of the time that we have about what do we do? What what do we do with our doubts? And what can we learn from Thomas's story? Here's the first thing, and I really encourage you to write this down so you can come back, because I think sometimes processing things, it, like you'll hear it in a moment. I think, I think this is a message that you're going to need to come back to uh, with points so that you can sort of process it later. So here's the first thing that I believe. Denying your doubt does not make you more spiritual. Okay, let me say that one more time. Denying your doubt does not make you more spiritual. And it also doesn't make you more confident in God, no matter how many times you say it and no matter how loud you get. Don't deny it. God is not angry when you doubt. I've been with a lot of families when someone has died. I was a hospice chaplain for a couple of years on the south side of Chicago and then in St. Louis. I've been with a lot of families in those, honestly, those um, deeply spiritual moments when someone is crossing over. And I've now been with enough of my loved ones in those moments as well. And I'm always bothered when people say things that sound overly spiritual, and I'm not picking on anyone that says that, because I've done it too, and it, it, what I've learned is it's from my own discomfort in a moment. Like, I'm trying to soothe myself by saying something that I think sounds good, that I, I hope will land on someone well, but when we, when we say things that are overly spiritual, like, don't be sad, remember all the good times. It's like, oh, that's all you have to do? Um, or, uh, gotta stay positive. <laughs> it's like, like, they're dead. It's hard to stay positive when someone's died. Or you'll get over that soon. Or are you done grieving yet? You know, those are not not things that we want to say to people that are grieving. And and when we say things that are overly spiritual, they'll come back on us. The reality is, maybe you've heard this, this phrase before. Have you heard of toxic positivity? Have you heard of that before? I love the phrase because Really, what those things are are not examples of faith, but they're toxic positivity. Because it sounds hopeful. It's like, don't be sad. Hey, don't be depressed. It's like, oh, okay. I don't. If I if I say I'm not depressed, am I not depressed? As if depression wasn't a chemical thing. Do you know what I'm saying? These are toxically positive things and they don't make people's faith deeper. What I love about the Bible is that it's absolutely raw with honesty. The Bible is not trying to cover up struggles and fears and doubts. One of the people uh, known in the Bible as a man after God's own heart, he had lots and lots of doubts. Uh, The man is David. In, In Psalm 13, I would characterize what he did in the first four verses as railing against God. He railed against God because he was overwhelmed. Because uh, we believe that it, in, the, in these first uh, verses, uh, his son Absalom was uh, conspiring against him. And David says this, I'm just going to be happy about everything. I'm just going to think really positively I'm not scared at all, you know, fears from the devil. So I'm not afraid. No, he says, how long, Lord? How many of you are in that stage right now? You're like, how long, Lord? Is there something? Just raise your hand. It's an act of faith when you just say, God, I, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I need you to show up. He says, will you forget me forever? Well, a man after God's own heart is wondering if God's going to forget him forever. How long will you hide your face from me? Whew. Man, super relatable, right? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Whew, man after God's own heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. <laughs> that is powerful. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice When I fall. This was not a man who was trying to be positive in circumstances that weren't. This was a man that was expressing his painful hurt and his disappointment. The kind of hurt that Thomas felt too when he believed that Jesus had let him down. I want you to imagine for a second if David hadn't expressed that letdown and that pain and that frustration. Of calling out to God and and not seeing God. Let me say this if he hadn't written that and just bottled up everything that he felt, it wouldn't make him even one iota more spiritual. Listen, when you express your pain and your frustration to God, you are not one tiny bit less spiritual than the person who just lets it fly. Not one bit. God wants to hear from you. If he had covered it up, it's certainly not a formula for spiritual growth, right? It's actually a setup for spiritual implosion. And speaking of that, here's the second thing. By denying your doubt, you are asking for a painful exposure. By denying your doubt, you are asking for a painful exposure. One of the things that I've pretty consistently heard um, that I take as a positive from me over the years as a pastor is that people will say that they appreciate that I don't try to put myself on a pedestal, and it's, it's not for a super altruistic reason, <laughs> because I know enough about me to know that I'm going to let you down eventually. In one way or another, I'm gonna let you down in some way. I'm not talking about necessarily some huge way, but I, I, I just know me well enough to know that at some point, I'm gonna let you down and you're gonna be like, ah, he's not as good as I thought he was or he's not as average as I thought he was. I'm not sure. But at some point, I will let you down. So I'd rather just admit to you that I'm a real person and I have real struggles and I have real mood swings and I have real doubts. Is that fair? I have all those things. I'm super skeptical by nature. It's just how I'm wired. I will let you down. I'd rather be truthful about it than to pretend that I am something that I'm not and then, have, and then act really surprised when you find out that it's true. Before Jesus was crucified, he warned all of his disciples of something. He said, all of you, before uh, all of you are going to walk away from me. And I think that was a pr- probably a really hard thing for them to hear, considering they'd walked with him for three years. But only one of them said that's not true. Can you imagine being Peter? Can we just stop for a second and just say, maybe you're Peter. Maybe you're the one that's like, listen, Jesus, I get it. You're the Son of God. You know everything, and you actually made me. But You're saying that I'm going to walk away. You clearly don't know me that well. I'm going to be the one that walks the whole way with you. I'm not going to do that. And Jesus says, well, okay, so actually what's going to happen is before tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's just like, we'll see. And what happened? He did exactly that. He denied Jesus three times. We are all human. We all doubt. And it's better just to put your doubts out and and how you are really processing things on the table because you will be painfully exposed. You might have heard uh, people talking about this concept of faith deconstruction. Raise your hand if that's something that you've heard of before, like people deconstructing their faith. it can mean so many different things and there's no agreed upon definition of what that is. So um, the gist of it is that people who grew up in church are taking some of their beliefs that they were taught and kind of throwing them out and then trying to either, either letting it go fully or reconstructing something. And I I could say a ton about it, but I'm just going to say this. I am convinced that the church at large would have way, way, way more 20-somethings than 30-somethings if we gave them a place to ask all of their questions. I'm convinced of that. Here's our final point today. Confessing your doubt invites fresh revelation from God. Confessing your doubt invites fresh revelation from God. It may not seem like it. You might think that just feels so weak. I feel like a failure. Well, God loves failures. He loves failures. He sees you. And remember, his love for you is not based on how much you succeed. His love for you is based on his character. And he sees you and he loves you right where you are. You're going to go through some dark nights of the soul. But he will see you through it. Thomas waited the longest week of his life. The other disciples were celebrating that that, that Jesus came to them, but, but Thomas wasn't there. And they were filled with joy, and my guess is that made him even more confused because when you are around a group of people and they all seem super convinced of something and you're sitting there and you're like, I'm not sure about this, I don't know about you, but when I'm in a place where I know that I think differently about something than everyone else around, I feel like I start fading into the background because I I feel like people can almost see that I don't agree. Can you guys relate to that? Thomas had to feel so awful that he's around people that are celebrating something that he's not really sure he believes in. He's the one who said, unless I, I see his hands, Unless I put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe it. And they were celebrating. And then suddenly, Jesus walked through the wall. He didn't open the door. He burst in on the scene. He didn't even, like, how supernaturally incredible and creepy is that? He just went in. He's just like, I'm here. Go ahead, Thomas. I heard what you had to say. Whoa. I mean, unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he looked straight at Thomas and what did he say? He didn't shame him for his doubt. He didn't say, gosh, Thomas, I thought you were one of mine. No, he said, go ahead and do what you said you needed to do to believe. Here are my hands and here's my side. Do you believe now? And he did. And he meets us with that same kind of love. The name Mother Teresa is synonymous with the life of a person who is faith-filled and acts-filled, right? Like she put her faith into action. She she worked in the slums of Calcutta, India. Most of us could never imagine giving up comforts of home and and living and and loving people in the slums anywhere, but she did it. She did it for a long, long time. Period of time. Most of us could never imagine having faith that, that is that dynamic, right? We're tempted to almost lionize her as some hero of the faith. Yet her own writings, which have been exposed in the last handful of years, show that things going on inside her weren't always the way it appeared on the outside, just like with you. On February 28, 1957, Mother Teresa wrote, There is so much contradiction in my soul. Such deep longing for God. So deep that it is painful. A suffering continual. And yet not wanted by God. Repulsed. Empty. No faith. No love. No zeal. Heaven means nothing. To me it looks like an empty place. Yet this torturing longing for God. Mother Teresa, that's what she wrote about what was going on inside her. It wasn't the end of her story, but it was part of it. 20 years later, she wrote this. My love for Jesus keeps growing more simple and more, I think, personal. I want him to be at ease with me, not to mind my feelings as long as he feels all right, not to mind even the darkness that surrounds him in me, but that in spite of everything, Jesus is all to me and that I love no one but only Jesus. When I was a senior in college, I didn't write anything eloquent, But I said to the Lord, if you are real, reveal yourself to me. And if you're not, because that was my honesty, if you're not, I guess you won't. Some people might say, oh, no, that's that's testing God. Well, he answered me, but he waited two angst-filled weeks for me. He didn't answer on my timetable. But he answered in a way that didn't shame me from my doubt. He answered me because he loved me like his kid. If you are here today and you're doubting, do not be afraid to say exactly what you think and what you feel. God will meet you with only love. Maybe today you're sitting here and you're not sure about this whole Christian thing. I get that too. And I can tell you from my experience, God is not mad at you for it. He made you and he loves you just as you are. And I promise you this, he is after your heart today. He wants your heart. God wants you to know him. You can call on him day and night. Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times, the one who acted as though he had it all together but didn't, he was restored by Jesus. Peter spent the rest of his life telling people about this gracious Savior and what it took to be right with God. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit.